All right, what's up, Salt Company? My name's Jordan. I talk here sometimes. Uh, don't know some of you guys, so wanted to show you a photo of some of my favorite humans. There they are. So that's my wife, Jessamy. I met her in college in Salt Company, actually, my freshman year. And yes, I was a freshman at one point in my life. All right, relax. And that is a human tornado meets circus meets laugh attack named Graham. He's a champion. That's me. That's my family. All right, so pumped to be here with you guys. Um, my opinions don't matter that much, so I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the Bible. That's what we talk about every week, and the Bible does matter, and we think it's awesome, and we think it's relevant to our lives, and we think it's, it's interesting and important, so that's what we're talking about. And so we're going to get into that in a second, but I want to just acknowledge this year at the kickoff is a little bit different than it's been in years past. And some of you are freshmen, you're like, you don't know any better. But some of you were a part of this last year when we're out in the middle of campus. We've got this outdoor setup. Uh, by this point, I would have fed you two different meals, hot dogs and some pizza. Or you would have had the anticipation of pizza. So we would have had this like social contract that you've had to listen to me get, to get the pizza. So I can't bribe you with the pizza to listen to me. Uh, and so, and the hype is a little bit different, although there's more hype than I expected. Like, I think we about hit capacity, guys. Way to go. This is so sweet. Um, yeah, you can clap for that. That's, that's nuts. But here's the deal. There's, there's, it is a little bit different, all right? And the sermon's a little bit different this year. Uh, you heard the text. We're talking about Jesus, talking about how to get rest for people who are weary and heavy laden. Um, <clears throat> but there's one thing that is the same that's always been true, is that you guys want something that's worth living for. You want something that's real, that matters for your life. You want truth, right? We all want that, and we might not have pizza, but we do have that, all right? So let's talk about it. Here's the promise from Jesus from Matthew 11. Again, would love it if you follow along in your Bibles on your phones or whatever, but uh, from Matthew 11, here's the promise of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So here's what he means by rest is not like a good nap, although that's maybe part of it. What he means by rest is this deep soul rest. This like utter contentment in all of life where, where you're not grinding and working and trying to produce something that you're not right now, but you're able to just kind of be. Just this like, of the soul, peace. That's the type of thing that he's talking about. Do you have it? Because here's, here's the deal, is this, this question, this offer to people who are weary and heavy laden, is that only for some of us in the room? Is that only for the group of us who are really tired or really burdened with something going on in our lives? Or is that for all of us? Are you weary and heavy laden? Because I think what's true is that that actually applies to every single one of us when we're honest, right, that we might have these moments of contentment, these moments of rest, but it's not lasting, it doesn't stick around, and we all know what it's like to feel like our lives aren't what they were supposed to be, and we uniquely feel that in COVID. That's why we're talking about this, is because we're tired, we feel like we're carrying heavy burdens, but, but don't make the mistake of thinking that the problems in your life are like COVID's fault right now. Here's what COVID is doing, is revealing what was already true of your soul. COVID isn't a car accident, it's a car inspection. It's not creating the problems in your life, it's revealing the problems that were already there that you maybe didn't know about. And here's the problem that Jesus is diagnosing in your life, in all of our lives, is that you have a restless soul. And there's only one solution 
to that restlessness, and it's Jesus Christ himself, and we'll talk about what that looks like to rest in him, but our temptation is to look for rest or contentment or joy in everything else besides him, right? And, and, and here's the reality is it might be different for different people in this room. In fact, it is different for different people in this room. The way that you're trying to solve that problem of restlessness in your soul, maybe you're trying to solve it through school and academics and success, if you can just do well enough, then you'll be at rest. Maybe you're trying to solve it through relationships. If you can just find the right relationship, then your life will be worth living. Or, or maybe you're trying to find rest and contentment through just living it up, whatever your definition of that is. Maybe it's like traveling, going to a bunch of cool places, hitting some national parks and living in Colorado someday, or, or hitting up Boise, because apparently that's like the new Colorado. But, uh, or, or maybe it's, it's living the college experience. Maybe it's just partying and having fun and nobody telling you what to do. But here's the reality is those things that you're looking for rest and contentment in will end up becoming burdens. You think they're the things that will produce freedom in your life, but they'll end up actually weighing down your life because you'll work really hard for that moment that it'll pay off. You'll work really hard in school for the moment that it'll pay off later and you can get the life that you want. You'll work really hard for relationships so that you can have that relationship that you've been looking for later. But the reality is, is that it'll never actually pay off. All right, so we're all taking up weird hobbies in COVID. My hobby is smoking meat. Now, unlike most normal human beings, I, uh, I, I don't smoke meat with an actual smoker where you could just set the timer and come back and have magic smoked meats. I do it with just this kind of sketchy like Weber grill setup that I've got to adjust like the vents on every five seconds. So that's my life when I smoke meats. And I decided the other day that I was going to invite my friend over with his new smoker that's essentially just a Weber kettle as well. And that we were going to smoke two meats on two different grills, even though we didn't know how to do it. And it was going to be totally fine. We were going to figure it out. We did not figure it out. We smoked meat for about seven hours. There was about four minutes of those seven hours that both kettles were at the right temp. The other six hours and 56 minutes, we were like working our butts off, all right? So we were either trying to put out flames or we were trying to fan flames. We were using a Frisbee at one point. It's like a bellows for the fire. And, and the whole time we just went, this sucks. This is not restful. Why are we doing this? And the answer was because we're about to eat smoked meat. It was all going to be worth it. Right, And so we kept encouraging ourselves, it's going to be worth it by the time we get there. And so we got to about five minutes before my buddy had to leave because it took way longer than we thought. We took those baby back ribs off the grill. We set them down. And I, I let him take the first bite because it was his maiden voyage into smoke. And it was like, you need to have this first bite, right? And so, so he takes this first bite and I just watched the disappointment come over his face. And I went, oh no. And I took a bite and it tasted like salty, burnt tires, like, it was just a train wreck. And we just sat there in our shame, and then he left. And, and, here's, and here's the reality, is I maybe could have handled the work if it would have paid off in the end, right? It might have been worth it if I would have had some good smoked meat at the end, but I can't handle it. Like, something in your soul dies when you put in that amount of work, and it doesn't pay off. This is what I'm saying. Your life is like that. You will spend your life working for whatever the payoff is, whatever you're hoping for, your dream life, your dream scenario in life, the job that you want to get, the family that you want to have, you'll spend your life working towards it, but you'll get to that moment and the payoff won't actually be satisfying. You won't find satisfaction for your soul and you'll look back at your life and you'll go, I wasted it. You won't find rest in anything besides 
Christ. But luckily, he wants to offer you rest. So what does that rest, that contentment in him look like? Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, so here's what Jesus is doing. is He's saying that he wants to give us rest, but he, he does it by using an analogy, and the analogy is a yoke. And I'm guessing we don't have a lot of farmers in the room, so I'll explain what a yoke is. It was the thing that connected like an ox to the plow. It connected the beast of burden to the burden. And it was a really familiar analogy to the people that initially heard Jesus say this because it was used over and over again in the Bible. And every single other time that it's used in the Bible, here's what it means, a controlling influence or authority. And it always had a negative connotation. Right, so for example, like a little quick history lesson, the Israelites were taken over by the Babylonians, and the way that the Bible talks about that is it says that the yoke of the Babylonians was heavy on the Israelites. And so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the way to find rest is for him to become the controlling influence in your life to become the final end-all, be-all authority over your life. He's challenging your authority, your autonomy over your own life. He's saying you can't find rest unless you let go of your control and hand it to him. Everything in the world is his, and so everything in your life is his, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. You can't just throw him in. He wants it all. He wants everything in your life. And you might be thinking, I like that rest part. I don't like this yoke part so much. That's because in our culture, we really push against this idea of authority because we really like to be in control of our own lives. For some reason, when I was thinking about this, I remembered this random poem that my dad would, qu would quote to me growing up. So I Googled it, and I actually remembered it. Here's the poem. It's just two lines, or this chunk of it is, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. Okay, that is... The modern good news message that you will receive is that you can live life however you want to live it, that you're the master of your fate, that you're sailing your ship, and you can do whatever you want, and you're the one responsible for creating the life that you want. But here's what Jesus is trying to tell you. Don't, guys, when you come up against hard truths, your temptation will be to push against it and to, to say, because you don't like that, that must not be true. But here's a really great way to know if something is made up, if you just intuitively agree with the entire thing. If you have a morality system that you love every piece of it and agree with the whole thing, then you probably made it up. But Jesus comes at you with hard truth because he wants a better life for you. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that you can't escape the yoke. You will inevitably attach your life to something, and that thing will control you. All right, so let me give you, let me explain what I mean by that. Some of you will be tempted, as I mentioned, to attach your life to academics. And your whole time in college will be about your grades, and you'll give up everything else for that purpose. You'll maybe even sacrifice your mental health for the sake of your grades. But at some point in there, that will start to control you where it no longer becomes, I just want good grades, but it becomes, I need grades. 
because I don't know who I am if I fail, and so I can't fail. Or closely connected to that, maybe you'll attach yourself to success in life. Some of you are really successful people. Certain of you from a certain business school are, are successful people. And when I talk to you, you just like network all over me. It's like I shake your hand. It's like it's just dripping with like network. I get networked and that's fine. Like you're successful. But here's the reality is you will never be successful enough. You'll always need more. It'll start to control your life. Maybe you'll attach yourself to relationships. And you'll have this incessant need for people to approve of you. And you'll have this constant evaluation and comparison of yourself to other people. Maybe some of you have done that already as you've walked in this room. And you'll try to craft this image and carefully craft this vision of yourself online so that people will look at you and say, you are good, you're okay with me. Or maybe you'll attach yourself to living the dream, whatever your dream is, and you'll go out and you'll live that dream life and you'll travel to those incredible places and you'll do those incredible things and you'll hit the pillow at night and you'll still have to deal with the fact that you're still the same person that you were and that your life wasn't fundamentally changed because it can't satisfy your soul. Those are heavy yokes. Jesus' yoke is light because he wants to carry your burdens for you. Jesus is our burden bearer. All right, so here's what a yoke does is it connects you, like we said, to a burden, but it also connects you to another burden bearer. So sometimes if there was an oxen that was not able to carry the load, couldn't pull the plow, they'd connect this older, experienced oxen to it, and, and that ox would carry the majority of the weight. And that's some of the analogy here is Jesus is saying that he wants to take your yoke, your burdens in life, the things that are weighing you down, that are hard for you. He wants to carry the weight of your soul. He wants to join himself to you, and he wants to carry the weight of your life and your soul for you. He wants to show you the way, and the heaviest burden of all is your sin. The reality that all of us in this room are not the people that we should have been, no matter how good we are, is that we're not good enough. We're not who we should have been, and all of us play this game where we try to pretend like we're fine and we're good and we're okay and we're radically insecure inside because we know that we haven't lived up to our expectations or the expectations of other people or ultimately the expectations of God. And that burden of sin separated you from God. That was the biggest burden in your life. And here's what Jesus did as he carried it for you by carrying a cross up a hill. What's Jesus doing in that moment is he's taking on that burden of separation from God and the guilt for your sin and he's putting it on himself so that he can put freedom on you. He says, give me all of your screw-ups, all of your failures, everything that's holding you back in life and everything that's holding you back from relationship with God and I'll carry it and I'll take the punishment for it and I'll give up my joy and I'll take on the heaviness of your burden so that you can have my joy. He wants to trade you. He carried it up a hill and here's the reality is that's not just some old irrelevant story but it matters to your life now because Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. He got out of the grave three days later, which means that we have a God who lives now and is still carrying burdens. And if he's willing to carry that ultimate burden of everything that you've ever done wrong in your life and not hold it against you, won't he also carry every other burden that you have in your life? He's still carrying burdens now. 
And so here's what he offers you. First an invitation and then a promise. The invitation, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. He says, come to me. I want you to know me. I want you to come to me. I'm not pushing you away. I'm not stiff-arming you. Come to me. But listen to the type of people who come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, high-maintenance, needy people. We tend to push those people away because they're too much for us or we're terrified of being those needy people to other people because in human relationships, there's got to be this back and forth. It can't be one-sided. But in this relationship with Jesus, it's entirely one-sided is that he offers you everything that you need and he needs nothing back from you. And he's drawn to your weakness. He's not exhausted by it. And here's why. is because his resources are infinite. They're unquenchable. You can't get to the bottom of them. You can't swim to the bottom of the ocean of Jesus' grace because there is no bottom. You just keep swimming and he keeps providing everything that you need. That is very different from religion. This is where Jesus is different from religion. Every other religion, every other moral system says this. Hey, don't come to me. Get away from me and get things done. Go out there and perform. Go create. Go do. It makes demands of you. Every other religion, every other morality comes to that point. You've got to go follow the five pillars of Islam. You've got to be a really good person. You've got to be a really moral person. You've got to become a really spiritual person. Name a moral system and I'll name a burden that's put on your shoulders. But Jesus is entirely different. But here's what we miss is so often we think that Christianity is this list of burdens, that it's all about these rules that are put on you and you've got to carry that to impress God and to be an impressive good person. And some of you have lived your entire life, you've grown up around Christianity and you thought that's what it was. And I'm telling you that it's exactly the opposite of that. Don't turn it into a burden because Jesus wants to remove the burdens. Religion like that is exhausting because it's asking you to do something that you can't do. You are not able to be good enough. It's like trying to pick up a 40,000 pound boulder. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You ain't picking that thing up. It doesn't matter what your technique is. You're just not strong enough to pick it up. You need someone who can carry it for you. And that's what Jesus offers to do, the promise. This is the promise from Jesus. Again, I can give you rest. Are you tired? Are you sick of working? Do you not feel like you're enough? Do you not feel like there's anything that can satisfy you, if you come to him, he will give you rest. He'll give you rest from the guilt of your sin and the shame of your past and everything that you've done wrong that you tend to think disqualifies you from being a good person or living in the presence of God because he'll be good for you. He'll give you rest from walking through life alone because he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll give you rest from everything that sucks in this world in everything that's gone wrong, in all the suffering, in the pain, in the confusion, in the hurt, in the evil, because Jesus wants to give you ultimate rest. That's what heaven is, is where we're with him forever, resting in his goodness. And he'll give you rest from the weight of constantly trying to prove something to yourself or to your parents or to your friends or to anyone else, of always trying to be enough, because you're not enough, but Jesus is enough. And that one, that last one, 
is really good, but it's really hard. Because it requires you admitting how much you need him. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Right, so Jesus is breaking up the world into two types of people. There's the wise and understanding. So in other words, the people that are good at life. Kind of the, the, the self-possessed, self-dependent people who are living life the way that you should. And then there's the other group of people, the children. Who children are just humans who are bad at being human. So my son the other day was walking outside and he fell face first into a mud puddle. And he was fine. And he got up and he took a couple more steps and then fell face first into another one and then came inside soaking wet, bump on his head, crying. And it's like, bro, and he was, he was good, right? He's, he's fine. I was like, bro, you're just bad at this. Like just this being like human things. That's what children are like. They're just bad at stuff. And it's fine because they're kids, but that's what they are, right? And, and this word for children that Jesus is using is like an infant, like a little helpless child. And this is what Jesus is telling us. Is that given the choice between the two, the people that have it put together and the helpless kids, he takes the kids. Every other thing in society takes the people who are put together. When you apply for college, you got to be put together. When you apply for a job, you got to be put together. For friendships, you got to be put together. You got to be a person that people want to be friends with. Everything else in society says you got to have your life together. Here's, here's what Jesus says is you got to be helpless and you got to need me. And if you come to me, I want to offer you rest. I want to help you with everything that you need. Here's why God picks the kids is because it's the only type of person that there is. There are no put together people. There's just delusional people. And so Jesus says, I want the kids, the people who are willing to admit their need, and I will provide for those needs. I will give you rest. But the question is, is are you willing to need him that bad? Are you willing to own what's true of you? If you are, come to him and he'll give you rest. Let me pray. Jesus, just help us. I, I know we've got all kinds of different backgrounds in this room. I know there's people here that got invited for, by a friend, and this is really kind of weird and new to them. Thanks for them being here, and just help them to consider these things. And Jesus, we need help to even see what's true, what's true of you and what's true of us. Help us to believe that we're as weak as you say you are, but also that we're as loved as you say you are. Help us to bring our burdens and our concerns and our fears to you and help us to find rest in you. God, we need you this year. We need your help to get through this moment in history. We need your help to get through the things that we're struggling with. We need you to offer us what we haven't been able to find anywhere else. And we believe that you can. We trust you. Amen.